0: Hello and welcome to Hatrick. I'm Jordan Della-Coltman. I am joined by Elliot Tanty, and Braden is off this week. Elliot, uh, I saw today come across my uh, social media feeds that uh, your boy Tucker Carlson will be uh, entertaining folks in Edmonton at Rogers uh, Place. I assume you have your tickets.
1: Uh, no, they haven't come yet. Ah, copy that. How was,
0: <laughs> what was the reaction to that news today?
1: Uh, well, I think we've known he's been coming for a while, but I didn't know he was at Roger's place. I, I can't kind of can't believe he's going to sell out Roger's place.
0: Well, certainly not based on their own social media comment section. Let's put it that way. A bit, bit, bit controversial, uh, certainly. We got some controversial things we'll talk about on the show, too. Here, let's get to it. Topic one. All right. Well, I teased it. Obviously, uh, the biggest story in the sports world, or at least in the Canadian sports world, this weekend uh, coming into this week uh, was the will he won't he of Shohei Otani, who uh, chose not to? Uh, we talked about it two weeks ago on the podcast. We talked about it last week when you weren't with us. There was uh, an entire um, media cycle dedicated to whether or not his plane was in the air. Turned out it was just Roger, Robert, Robert, Kershevik from Shark Tank uh, in the air instead. So, uh, probably the, the most disappointed anyone's ever been. To, to see Ro- Roger Robert, I don't even know the guy's name, Hercevic, uh, arrive home. But um, there was a moment, a brief but fleeting moment, where it felt like uh, the world was going to just completely fall apart for the Toronto Blue Jays fans. They thought they had him. He, he slipped through their fingers. He signs uh, just up the road, Silver Lake, the, the the Dodgers, the Los Angeles Dodgers stays at home, basically moved up, moved up zip codes, basically from Orange County to uh, Los Angeles. Um, Not really a surprise. I think you called this. Did you not?
1: Yeah, I mean, I just have a hard time ever believing anything good is ever going to happen to the Blue Jays. I just always imagine they develop great talent and then send it all away. It's not usually the story for them to bring someone in i mean there was lots of signs that said hey maybe this is true one he was definitely talking to them and very interested um the rogers sports net deal for the hockey rights is up which means they have a bunch of money to spend hypothetically so you know that was an ongoing conversation if they were gonna have to spend 700 million they had it because they didn't have to pay for the hockey rights anymore there has been a lots of sort of different conversations that pointed towards that and that maybe even for a brief moment i too was beginning to believe that he was going to end up in toronto but the dodgers are the dodgers the market in la is the market in la i think you were right when you were talking about you know his impact does he want to take over an entire country or you know stay in california and he stayed in california it's disappointing for the blue jays but um the nice thing about the position that they're in is that they've still got a good team, they'll still field a good team next year. There's still there's other things they can do. Clearly they're willing to spend. So, you know, there is that. But I understand why Toronto fans and are disappointed and Blue Jays fans are disappointed. I just I always kind of had a hard time believing it was actually ever gonna happen.
0: So let's talk about the money, because that's obviously A big piece of this story, and there's definitely been some mixed and interesting reactions to it, certainly some outrage from, I think, a lot of people who maybe aren't as familiar with the ridiculous nature of baseball economics. Um, Obviously, it is. It's the largest contract in Major League Baseball history. It puts him ahead of um, Mike Trout. Uh, his former teammate, ironically. And we also found out today that he was going to defer a large portion of it. 680 million of it uh, will be deferred. So he's actually only going to be collecting a salary of $2 million for the first, I believe, four, five years of the deal. Um, and then the rest of it is all on the back end, which is an interesting um, structure and maybe restructured even more so later on uh, to figure out the finances of it. Because without that, I don't know how the Dodgers make their payroll. Um, however, you know, it's an interesting conversation because yes, certainly in the economics of the world we live in, it's an excessive thing to pay one individual doing anything, uh, that's large a sum of money. Uh, I think we can both agree on that. And yet that is the economics of professional sport. When you look at it, the business side of what he brings from a value perspective is no different than a product that has a mass uh appeal. I mean, he is the most talented player playing that sport and he's playing two positions. I mean, not currently, but has the the ability to play two of the core positions, the hardest positions to play at the highest level and he is as we've said multiple times on this show a unicorn. It's not a it's, this is not something that a common human being is capable of doing. Therefore, the economics, you know, shift in that way. We can have a debate about whether we think all athletes are paid too much for what they actually are doing comparatively to other people in other professions that we could argue have greater impact or importance for society, i.e. teachers, healthcare workers, frontline people. Uh, the list goes on and on. And yet we are talking about a multi-billion dollar entertainment product in Major League Baseball that its biggest star is being compensated according to what the economics of that business are. I I get the argument. I just struggle with trying to talk myself out of understanding why it works.
1: Well, it's an unfathomable amount of money. 70 million a year times 10 years, $700 million. That's the commitment that they've made to this individual. So yeah, I do appreciate and totally understand where you're coming from. I think a lot of people are doing that. The crazy thing is the economics of Shohei Otani playing on your team probably do bring he does bring that much revenue back into this the the, the team you think about jersey sales ticket sales it's going to be dodgers games are going to when he pitches won't be next year but when he does are going to be sellouts all year he's going to drive business for that franchise and it's uh, and and they're a good team to start with a big fan base and a big market. So I'm, you know, this is not to like I this is not to say that I agree with it, but the business, I you have to assume these are very smart people, very smart business people, they understand and they're making that calculation and they think it's gonna work out. It's a massive commitment to make on one individual though. I do get he's young. But 10 years is a long time. A lot can happen in one year, let alone 10. So we'll see if it pays off for them. But it's a big gamble, but has the like lots of opportunity for massive upside. So I I guess I get that. And, you know, anyone that's challenging that, you know, I would say these are smart business people. It's going to come in. The revenue is going to come in in different ways. And we just that's what they think. We'll see if it actually happens. These things are incredibly difficult to calculate only the Dodgers will ever really know if it was valuable uh, and, and paid off in the end, but you have to think that they think it is.
0: Well, and and the other way to think about it, I think is you have to remove the human part of it. You're right. It's an obscene amount of money for one individual human being to make. And yet, you know, the, there are a lot of human beings making a lot more money than that doing much less work. And more importantly, doing a lot less, uh, as you say, like of making much less of an impact on the economics of the business they work in. So in this situation, I don't think of him as an athlete. I think of him as a business and they have acquired much like a large multi- And that was kind of the argument I was going to make had the blue Jays secured him. It's like, what's the last major business acquisition Rogers made? You know, they're paying Hundreds of hundreds
1: right of NHL. That's, that's exactly what I
0: mean. They're paying hundreds of millions of dollars to acquire a business in this situation. Like, didn't Rogers just try to buy, or didn't they just buy Shaw? Like, how much? How many billions of dollars did they put into that business deal? In this situation, what Shohei Otani adds from an economic revenue perspective for your sports team is equal to acquiring another business. That makes perfect sense that they would be spending that on him. Uh, It is just the silliness of the business that the numbers are as high as they are. And yet, you know, as we've said, when you look, and I've made this point several times on the show to others' chagrin, but like baseball is in a very... Uh, tricky spot in terms of where it has been in its history, in terms of its relevance, in terms of its brand um, awareness across the country, the way it is, I I have argued, slipped uh, in terms of its growth comparatively to the, to the NBA and certainly uh, the way that the NFL has continued to pull away from it. I think it is the third biggest and in certain markets, the fourth biggest sport going and, When you have an opportunity to have the best player playing that sport in your market, you pay what it costs to get him because that is the business you are in. And equally, I think as much as it is unfortunate from a Canadian sports fan perspective that he did not sign in Toronto, I made the argument I believed he was going to go to the Dodgers because it made the most baseball sense. Equally, I think it's better for the league that he is in one of the two largest sports markets in the United States. And you can't tell me, oh, he was already there because he was in Anaheim. That's an irrelevant team. The Dodgers are a perennial World Series contending team. They are not a, we are almost there kind of team like the Blue Jays are. And had they got him, certainly would have been a contender. The Dodgers have been in how many of the last four or five World Series to begin with and won one. So like they are an elite team, Who's has just added the most elite player. It's good for the overall sport to have that kind of power there. Not so great for the smaller markets, but that's, that's baseball.
1: <laughs> I've got two questions for you here. Uh, the things that I'm thinking about right now, one, does the fact that they were, that baseball is just awarded a $700 million contract, push back against your assertion that baseball is failing. And two you know, I think it's important that you highlighted he's a unicorn and that he can pitch and he can hit. My question is, how long do we have to wait until we see a contract that's bigger than this one? And maybe I don't think it's like the, the concern I always have, and just continuing on my point here, is you know, Connor gets Connor McDavid gets 12 million and then Nathan McCain gets 12.6, and you know, every year it kind of goes up in that, that way. This is a massive increase. Um in terms of the overall dollar value paid for a player, I, I guess my question is how long until we're seeing the 705 or the 750 or the 800, or is it just because he's such a unique talent that he demands more? And so that's not going to happen for a while. So those are my two questions for you.
0: Well, I think you're paying for two players. That's the thing you got to think about here. You're playing, you're paying for arguably the one of the best pitchers in the world. And you're paying for the best hitter in the world. So you're actually getting two for one. You got to think about it that way. Even if he's not going to pitch in the immediate, he's still going to be pitching within the next 10 years again. And you've paid him for that amount of time. That's part of it. I don't think you're going to see a contract over this Uh, for the next couple of years, because you can't, there's no one else there who could argue with a team that they're more valuable than he is. He sets that benchmark. I mean, I remember have, you know, hearing that was a big factor when Gretzky was given the option to stay in Edmonton over making the move to LA. A big factor was the reality of that. If he had stayed in LA or start, pardon me. If he'd stayed in Edmonton, the economics of the sport would have been held back because he was being underpaid in Edmonton and would have continued to be underpaid in Edmonton. He's the best player in the game. He he doesn't get a raise. No one gets a raise. This definitely raises the bar, but there are very few players who can come close to what Otani is doing on the field. So I think that's the answer to that question. Uh, The first question you asked about whether or not this says something different about the state of baseball. No, I still think that overall in most of it's what 20 plus markets, it is still a sport that is trying to figure out what it is in the twenty first century, in the current economic um, re reshaking of the broadcast world, because this is a sport that relied heavily on the RSNs, and that those are gone; they're dying rapidly, um, and so that is going to really shift the business of it. It says more about the state of the big teams in Major League Baseball, which is that, yep, there's still haves and have-nots in Major League Baseball. The Dodgers have been and will continue to be one of the haves, and now they have the best. All right, that's topic one. Hey, podcast listeners. My name is Larise Campbell, and along with my co-host, former Olympic bobsledder, Alicia Olson, I am so excited to introduce you to the Mother Pucker Podcast. And if you love the Oilers like we do, you are going to love our show. It's just two gals who aren't afraid to drop the gloves and throw some hot takes about the boys in blue and orange. Whether you're a massive hockey fan like us or just looking for some new voices talking about the Oilers' blue line, or lack thereof, we promise the show is for you. So subscribe now and tell your friends. It's time for the Mother Pucker Podcast. All right, let's go to... uh let's go to another a sport we haven't talked a lot about so far this season. And that's the NFL. We've I think we've touched on it a little bit, but we had a very interesting and kind of controversial finish to uh, a football game Sunday night. We had the, the uh, uh, Kansas city versus Buffalo. This was a rematch of a very heated rivalry from last season, two very good teams. Buffalo on the other hand has had a bit of a, a bumpy ride so far this year. So it was a, it was a heated tilted arrowhead and we, was it in Arrowhead or was it in Buffalo? I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Really, The that point is irrelevant. The point being, Buffalo leads uh, with about two minutes left. And when Patrick Mahomes is one of those quarterbacks who has earned the right, I would argue at this point, that when you give him two minutes and he is down by three as a fan, I'm assuming he's going to do something with that and at least take us to overtime. He's that good. Uh, the offense is that good in, in, for, for Kansas City. I think they were in Buffalo. Anyway. Uh, Kadarius Toney lines up offside. Now, this is an odd situation to begin with because traditionally in the NFL, when a wide receiver lines up at the line of scrimmage, they look to the line judge and they get a thumbs up and then they are good to go. If you watch the replay, he looks to the sideline and assumes he's good to go. They run a play and it's a great play. A throw uh, across the field to uh, Travis Kelsey, who uh, just before he's you know, tackle basically throws a beautiful spiral lateral uh, off to, to Tony and he runs it in for a touchdown. It's a great little gadget play. It puts them o- over the top. They're in the lead. And from that point, it looks like Kansas City's going to win, but then there's a flag and we go back and recognize that he was offside. Then what really for me is where the story is, is the aftermath of this just apoplectic uh, on the sideline for Kansas city. We have uh, Patrick Mahomes, just irate, screaming and losing his mind. That continues. Obviously they lose. And that continues all the way to the podium where he continues to chastise the referees claiming this is the first time he's ever seen such a situation that, you know, how is this happening in the fourth quarter? I think at one point he suggested that they just don't call that in the fourth quarter. I mean, watch the replays offside. There's no arguing that part of it. The question is how did this whole thing play out and and kind of the aftermath of it. And then for me, I also found it hilarious how fast the media wants to turn on or is able to turn on someone. They haven't yet had an opportunity to turn on the minute that door is open just to crack the hot takes come flying through, you know, how dare he? Oh, I've lost all respect for Kansas City. There goes all respect for Patrick Mahomes. He's just an idiot. How could he act like this? He's so childish and such a baby. Anyway, what was your first take? What is your take on this situation and I, I and then I I'd love to to sort of dig into the aftermath of the media reaction to it as well. Did you watch this game? Did you see this live? or were you? No, reading? but I
1: didn't see it live, but I certainly heard about it and watched the play after. Um, And yeah, I agree with you. It was completely offside. I mean, all it confirms for me is that the Kansas City Chiefs receiving core is like the worst receiving core in all of football. They might be bottom three. I mean, it's been a complete disaster this year. I think this is the third game that you can point to, including the season opener, where either something stupid that the – Uh, a wide receiver has done or just like horrifically bad drops have like cost them wins this year um so the reason why i raised that is one because it's true and here's another example of that in terms of that piece but the other thing is i think it i think i don't know if it justifies but you certainly can feel why Mahomes would be pissed off? You've got this all star quarterback, as you said, one of the best quarterbacks in the league and has been for a while. And the weapons that he's been given outside of Kelsey are horrific. And he is frustrated. He's very frustrated. His team should have three more wins than they do. They should be far and away in the head of the d- division and be in. A preeminent favorite for this another Super Bowl this year, and because of the quality of players around him at this very key position, they are not they are not doing as well. They're not having the season that they need to have. So, you know, for me, it, it felt like yeah, everyone blew up and got really mad at the way that he behaved, but I also just I, I appreciate how frustrated he is given what's been happening this season. So. You know, I I think everyone looks for a story. I think Patrick Mahomes, who was like the NFL good guy for a long time and everyone cheers for him, you know, having him sort of see him misbehave and be angry, you know, provides this kind of obscure opportunity, like you said, apoplectic response to his behaviors. But I just get it. Like, I would be frustrated, too, if I had all that talent, all that skill. I was basically driving this football team uh into the wins that we have got and you know we've dropped three just based on just stupid mistakes and and, and 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 mental mistakes that would be incredibly frustrating and so i i i don't think it's justified but i understand his response
0: okay so um i want to take it in a slightly different way but but i'll start by agreeing with you i think it, it is interesting when you look at it from like the it, it's it, it's reminiscent to me of brady in new new england for several years when he was just desperate to find a proper receiving court outside of, you know, having occasionally a good tight end. Right. Cause that is really what they had. It was Gronkowski and everybody else. And then, you know, yes, Edelman was there, but like with the exception of Randy Moss, you can't name another hall of fame wide receiver that the greatest quarterback of all time really had as a weapon. Do you know what I mean? He worked with what he had and there were a lot of journeymen in and out of there. Yeah. Mahomes, I would I would argue, and and I think you would agree with me, is in a very similar position. Outside of Travis Kelsey, he has some spare parts, and occasionally a good game out of one of them. That's really what he's got. Um, and ironically, you also brought up the home op- or the 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 opener of the season, which I believe was also a Kader Tony situation, dropping balls. Here's the thing that I find funny. The reaction to it is very much like you say, it's America, American sports writers especially love to tear down the hero because it's a great, it's just a great, and it's an easy uh, take to have, right? It's like, oh, this is the good guy, and look at how he turns on the media, or look at how he turns on the league, or look at how he turns on the referees, blames, trying to find an excuse. If he had gone up to that podium and ripped Tony, or if he'd gone up to that podium and ripped his team, how would they have reacted? What do they want out of him? Do you want him to be upset? Do you want him to defend his team? Do you want him to stick up for them? Even if it's blatantly offside, like, isn't that what we want in our athletes for them to, to be a team player? Like, isn't this exactly the? for me, the, the reaction feels hypocritical because it's like, what is the expectation we have for this guy? Do we want him to give a shit or do we want him to not care? Cause here he is given a shit. And yet somehow that's, that's not the right reaction. So what is the right reaction? Is it to go up there and complain and be like, you know, Tony's out there. Like, Tony's out there killing us. Like, how dare he be offside? How, like, come on, put a fucking effort in. But if he says that, what are we going to turn on him for that too? Aren't we? We're going to be like, Oh, wow. Wow. Look at this guy. He's not a team player. He's, he's throwing his guys under the bus. He, there is no right response because the media is going to take one or the other way because it's a hot button game. It's, it's a hot button situation. And that's where, for me, it's just so like he's in a lose-lose situation from from that perspective. What is he supposed to say? You I want mean, him it's, to it's, show it's, emotion. It's, he shows emotion, and you cru- crucify him for it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I I sort of agree with you. I, I think what everyone is expecting now, or calling on him, is to have you know just be give the hockey player a response like, yeah, tough play, tough loss. You know, we'll but be then back they complain time.
0: about that because well, no, like, oh, they're not giving us you. anything.
1: I agree with you. Like, yeah, I, I'm yeah. totally with you on that. I I like. I, showing a little bit of emotion, getting angry, getting frustrated. Like you can't throw your team under the bus. You can only imagine what was said in the locker room. Yeah. Days. Oh yeah. And uh and I think between this incident and game one, like uh if Tony still has a job next year with KC, I'd be surprised and that yeah. would shock no one if he doesn't. Um that being said, I completely agree with you. Like this is this is kind of that that you know, and then you get into this whole conversation around conspiracy and the NFL referees and the stuff. Like that. that is the offside. Script. Like your yeah, job is to make sure you are not beyond the line of yeah. scrimmage. Like that well, is and the argument literally- that. The argument that,
0: well, he checked to see if he's offside. It's not the referee's job to keep him onside. He was offside. If 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 occasionally a referee you know tips a player off to the fact that they're offside, well, that's a courtesy. But I'm sorry that it shouldn't be the standard. The standard is you stay onside, period. End of conversation. Or if it, so it is right.
1: the standard, then codified in the rules. But I, had, exactly. I didn't even know that was a thing until – I and I watched football for a long time, and yeah. I didn't even know that was a thing until yeah, I know. Uh, recently. You know, it does remind me, though – and it, it, it the, the offside rule uh in NF, in the NFL is a lot easier to maintain but CFL sometimes when you get those like three wide receivers in motion sometimes they can be pretty far ahead of the line of scrimmage like it to you, but generally it has to be like egregious before the referees will kind of call an offside play. Even well, and we're
0: a... also talking about two very different interpretations of the line of scrimmage: one where you line up at the line of scrimmage, and the other where you've got a yard between them. So, exactly, very but yes, exactly. And so, um, and a lot more motion.
1: But there's and a lot more motion. <laughs> so, you know, in those ways, it sort of reminds me of that. That's probably a conversation. The for waggle, me, but you know, honestly, like your job is, you know, you made a mistake, you screwed yeah. up, you cost your team a big play. The end of the day, the problem here in KC is not Andy Reid, it's not Patrick Mahomes, it's the receiving core that they've been given. Now, here's the one thing I will say because you brought up Brady, and I don't know the details of Patrick Mahomes' contract, but what happens when you get all-star quarterbacks in the NFL is you and they make big money then you do have to take away from other parts of the team. That sure. was, you know, Belichick always kind of fielded a pretty good defense. And then like Brady got scraps and they made it work because, you know, the third man up and it was always, you know, could make a play at third and seven because Brady would basically stick the ball in his helmet. Um, but, you know, that, does those things do have impacts on other parts of, you know, the, this the salary cap and, and what, what the types of, Uh, teams that you can field so there's a larger conversation there related to that and the impact of Mahomes contract on the team I don't know the details enough to get into it but I would leave you know our listeners with that but at the end of the day this is an incredibly frustrated all-star quarterback because the people around him aren't good enough to get the job done and I get it I get it
0: all right let's leave it there that's top me football fans The Ordinary Podcasting Network is very excited to welcome back for its second season, Running Down the Clock, presented by Puya Ricey and Tyler Walzak. These two football fans will sit down with you every Thursday of the NFL schedule to talk football. You can subscribe to Running Down the Clock anywhere you get your podcast. Okay, let's take our hats off here. Elliot, you want to go first?
1: Yeah, this is kind of a weird one. You know, there's on this, what, seven-game winning streak, all these games at home. They've turned their season around. They're back to five hundred. There's lots of players that have done really well and played really well for the team across this last stretch. But I think my hat goes off to unsung hero Zach Hyman. I really have enjoyed the way that he's been playing, and I think he brings a dynamic to this team that is so positive and healthy. He works hard. He comes out in every shift. He plays sometimes with McDavid, sometimes not. He's up and down the lineup. He can play. He plays well defensively. You know, he can score. I think he, there's sort of an unsung hero role for him. We always talk about Leon. We always talk about McDavid. Nuj got hundred points last year. There's an ongoing conversation about defense and goaltending, but Zach Hyman, since he's come here, like, is there a better contract on the Edmonton Oilers right now? Is it five by five that he... They the paid, only I mean, one
0: that comes close might be the discount you got from Leon. Cause Leon really should be baking more money, but yeah, right, that's that is a hell of a contract for the way Hyman's playing. And considering yeah, by the, by considering the crazy. noise that came out of Toronto being like, Oh man, you paid, you overpaid for the guy. It's like, yeah, I bet you'd yep. love to have Zach Hyman right now back. in. Yeah. Toronto.
1: For what he, for what he makes and what he does on the team. Yeah, I don't definitely. know. I just think, you know, there, there's a lot of players that are playing well and it takes a team effort to sort of go on a seven game winning streak. Uh, Skinner's been playing better, but I just, I think Zach Hyman doesn't get enough credit, um, you know, outside of the team. And so I like like hats going off to him. For his
0: My only challenge to you on that is I think that the unsung hero part is going to end real quicker. I think he's starting to get a lot of praise and I think he's going to start to take attention from around the league. Cause you're right. He's just, he's playing him himself out of that unsung hero role real fast fair, fair. <laughs> i think that it's he's fair. gonna start continually getting noticed because he's on every score sheet and you're right he deserves it because he's played fantastically and it, it, one of those like from my perspective he's been the answer he is the answer for what the oilers have needed he's let the he's other the guys winner they've been him asking
1: for, for years
0: 100 percent. yeah you play in front of the net in the power play, you go get the scrappy goals. And then he's also scored, showed some skill. I mean, a couple of those goals against Carolina on that hat trick were pretty, uh, elite level talented plays.
1: Yeah. He's very good at hockey. Like it's, that's the other thing. He's very good at hockey. But I just, I think he gets, you know, with everyone else around the team, Kane's yeah, totally. a big personality. And you're always talking about our nurses contract. And obviously McDavid is the best player in the world. I don't want to take anything away from those guys. Yeah. I'm just saying I agree. Like, for Bang for your buck, and what you're getting right now is outstanding, and he's a major part of the seven-game winning streak, so I'm going to tip my hat to him.
0: Great choice. Great choice. I'm going to tip my hat to uh, – to uh, it's kind of, of the whole team, but I'll give it to LeBron James because, once again, LeBron James has showed us why the in-season tournament means so much. Winning uh, – oh, wait. Sorry, his first because – there's only ever been one. Apparently they're hanging a banner in the stable center. I I am half-heartedly taking my hat off to the Los Angeles Lakers for winning this inaugural in-season tournament. Uh good for them. Uh they win something. The question is can they win the big thing? Probably not. But it, it was at least nice cuz I feel like they at least made that tournament sort of matter uh near the end of it cuz it kind of got a little silly. You had a couple good teams and then a couple like why are the Pelicans in this? Uh, they finished it off against Indiana. So uh, my hat goes off to lebron james for winning another trophy i'm um, not the one he wants right now he wants the larry o'brien but uh another trophy nonetheless my question to you is this did they name this tournament the in-season tournament strictly because they're hoping that some sponsor jumps on and gives it an actual name like it becomes like the like the the the, the i don't know the, give me Wilson, name, the company yeah like the pepsi cup or something you know what i mean it feels like it's kind of been left open for like a sponsorship partnership style deal.
1: Yeah, your instincts on that are probably right. I think everyone, all the sponsors, are waiting to see what this actually meant and and what the NBA did with it before they actually uh, they gave away the naming rights. But it wouldn't surprise me if yeah, next year it's the Pepsi Cup or something silly like that. Anyway,
0: all right, uh, let's leave it there for today. Thank you, Elliot. Appreciate it. We'll be back next week with our last episode of twenty twenty three we have to do our in review our season wrap up because we'll be into the holiday season with christmas and the new year coming at us so we'll be ready for that next week uh mark it down until then um that was hatrick Patrick is a member of the ordinary podcasting network it's produced every week by jordan diler coltman and brayden diler coltman can follow us on instagram twitter and facebook thanks for listening